unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Good, Nathan. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and the conspiracy theory spider sense in me is tingling today. You know, our guest today has lived the kind of life most of us only see on TV and in movies. He's worked as a specialized contractor in Iraq for the U.S. Department of Defense in PSYOPs, which is, in a way, like the military version of persuasion or direct marketing. Of course, most of what he did is classified, but he'll share some insights that don't compromise sensitive information today. He's also worked at the heartbeat of world media as an editor for CNN, NBC, Sky, CNBC, and MTV. Our guest today is Christian Dixon. And these days, he's pursuing copywriting with a ferocity I only see in the most obsessed practitioners of the craft, which includes me and Nathan. We invited Christian to come on the show to talk about what he learned in his other professions that would be interesting insights for copywriters. And while this is not the most interesting insight, what I'm about to say is nonetheless important, and that is this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Christian, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Really nice to be here. Finally, I've listened to your podcast for a couple of years, at least now. So it's, it's good to be sort of a guest on the show. Thank you. So many time listener, first time guest. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Oh. <laughs> Very a surprise. <laughs> and I, when you when you gave that introduction, I was thinking, who, who is this person that's on the show? Is that me? <laughs> well, you know, Ken McCarthy said that I give the best introductions in the business. And I would never say that, but I would gladly repeat what he said about a thousand times. So, all right, let's get into it. What did you learn? Tell us uh, what you can, maybe insights, not not the direct secrets, but your own conclusions, which are not classified about from PSYOPs, from working PSYOPs in Iraq. We want to hear about what you learned that you can use in copywriting. For example, um, what about actions people take in life? when when they're driven by a cause um did you notice or did you learn in your training or in your experience um and maybe i'm talking about psyops and and the coalition forces maybe i'm talking about the insurgents um you know the the jihadis uh what did you learn about that uh one of the first things i learned is that if you pay people they do whatever you want because literally you know there was a lot of money flowing around in the area and a lot of the insurgents it was so easy to recruit because if one of your family members had been killed by an american soldier then obviously you're going to want to kill the americans um the other thing is so the country was so poor you know very war stricken that 
you're all basically put on a payroll by the insurgents. So you've basically got a job for them. You're being paid a, a, a decent number of dollars. Uh, your grandmother, who's sick and probably would die, can get all the medication she wants. You get anything you want. So basically just the fact that, you know, people can be bought like that and they would then go and train people to be suicide bombers and things like that. It was just- oh, so that, that's interesting. So the whole notion that this was a completely ideological situation um, gets wiped out when dollars start to appear. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's quite a surprise you think that, you know, it'd be the opposite. And I'm sure in certain situations that that's very true. But you show people money that have nothing and they'll do exactly what you want um, very quickly. It seems like a a lot of copywriting, internet marketing is based indirectly on that same idea, too. You know, a guy shows up with a rented Ferrari in his driveway. You're showing him money, say, you can be like me, just give me some money. and people go into a trance almost oh absolutely it's uh, i mean i guess that's one kind of way uh, jumping ahead why i kind of very interested in in copywriting is kind of you know my tv career etc but i kind of a very creative person and my path has kind of led me that way and it's very measurable as well you know you kind of um a lot of testing because we did test a lot of the projects we did in iraq Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very hard to kind of qualify what worked and what didn't because if someone goes to do something and they don't come back because they've been abducted and killed, then you don't know what's happened. Um, but yeah, the copywriting way is kind of, you know, it's, I've always been interested in kind of that kind of uh, thing where it kind of, there's, there's a payback on it as well. So and yeah, it's very creative. I, I like that idea because human intelligence has always fascinated me. and. Yet, it seems like it'd be so hard to make a science out of it. Um, I mean, to some degree, you can. People are are driven by certain motivations. Uh, money sounds like, in your experience uh, in Iraq, it, it came right to the top of the pyramid. But nevertheless, when when you want to develop certainty about cause and effect, about the way things work, with with humans, there there are so many dimensions and so many variables. It's going to be hard with copywriting. You test one headline against another, and you know this headline works better. Oh, absolutely, and I think uh, having worked in TV and just being having all that power at my hands, working for all these different TV stations, you know, you, you do take for granted how much power you actually have. Like you were saying about copy is powerful, um, so you have to really think about not just on the legal side. But, you know, it's a real it's a real responsibility what you're actually putting out there. So, well, I, well, yeah. If, if I can intrigue you um, back into the Iraq situation for a little bit, did you ever witness or actually conduct um, interrogations of, of enemy combatants or of, of maybe people who weren't so hostile, but people who had good information? Because... One thing I'm I'm curious about that I've uh, read, in fact, I read it from a guy who was an FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss, and I've I've heard this and seen this from other people who are really at the top of their game, that even though you see that, you know, on like American um, police procedurals, you see these tough guy interviews, and I, I particularly like Agent Gibbs, where he comes into the room and he slams something down on the table. But in, in real life, it seems like a more 
nurturing and empathetic approach works better. Can you speak to that at all from your intelligence experience? Well, well, I wasn't involved in any of the interrogations because we worked with the assets as in the information itself and controlled that across the medias. So it was kind of a gray black ops um, where there was a situation where you kind of, we created some assets that went out when they did raids, things were dropped and they could track the IP addresses of whoever played them in the computer. And they appeared like all over the world. So that kind of gave were these them, like CDs or C, yeah CD-ROMs? We used to create them, and there was a code embedded in them through Real Player, uh-huh. and it was either it's quite clever, really. So you you do a raid, smash the door, absolute chaos. Oh yeah, let's chuck all the CDs and stuff like that. They start to appear through different. You know, one appears in a dressing Baghdad, one in different countries, and that kind of builds up a kind of network of like, how did they get there? You know. So it's quite, I mean, that was the kind of gray black ops that, that, that we used. Man, that, that's interesting. I'm thinking about, you know, back in the day, if you could have done that uh, with a free CD that you sent out in direct marketing, what kind of market data could you have gotten that, that people never had? That's pretty interesting. I mean, I mean I, I, we didn't even realize that it's to do with real player, which I don't even know if you use anymore. I'm not sure. I remember um, it. I have no idea how to use it. Yeah, yeah, that's way back in, that's a long time ago. That's it. I mean, I, I was there 2007, 2008. Um, mm-hmm. But everything we did have to be signed off by uh, the, the, the high-ranking uh, colonels with us. And it went straight to Petraeus at the, uh, I mean, basically, like America ran Iraq. <laughs> so everything yeah. had to be signed off. And anything I did was kind of debated and every syllable and in, inflection, everything was kind of, and it, it was in Arabic, English to start with, then translated into Arabic as if it was produced by some of it as Arabic television. Oh, okay. So you were, you were doing disinformation kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Yes. So there was part of it was kind of, we billboards everywhere saying Al-Qaeda in Iraq, you know, they've, they, t- they could have killed your brother or sister you know, your family died in a, so, so call this number or get in touch with us. Uh, TV shows going out. There was the Awakening Council, the kind of the tribal leaders, a lot of those got assassinated. So it's trying to turn the people of Iraq against Al-Qaeda. And what was interesting, when I was there, the message, you know, every war's got a kind of a message, like a brand. It was, I think, uh, in, uh, enduring Iraqi freedom. Then I was there and it became... Operation Iraqi Freedom. So it's kind of like putting the Iraqis to help their, they have to help themselves in their own country. It's not just the Americans' coalition forces. Um, but everything was signed off at the, t- the highest level. Yeah. Well, you know, um, that's interesting. And ho- hopefully you can um, talk with, with fewer concerns about confidentiality with TV. Uh, uh, they, I hope they didn't make you sign an NDA when you went to work for. CNN or Sky News or anything, did they? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we, what did happen is we got so used to seeing horrific images. So you'd start, you go in at four o'clock in the morning, you get a Reuters or APTV feed coming in, and we'd have to collate, depending on what market, so different targeted markets going out across Europe or, or uh, well, mainly across Europe. Um, and I worked on the ITV News, which is like the, one of the, the largest news stations over here. Uh, I worked on the six o'clock and the ten o'clock news, which goes out. TV industry is very stressful. TV news—you have to work very, very quickly. You have to be very focused. See, that's why I want to apply to the copywriting side because all my career has been—you can't hang around. 
you know, you have to pick up information just like that. You have to be heavily, heavily use your research, research, research or, and your sources. And things at last minute can be chucked out the window and you've got to start again. So I guess like if you're writing copy and it's rubbish, you know, you go through so many versions of it. Yeah, or if you get a knock on your door and say, hi, I'm from the attorney general. <laughs> and I want to ask you about this. You need to be able to rewrite pretty fast, right? Yes, absolutely. But I mean, TV obviously was a was an open sort of field. There, there weren't any NDAs or anything like that. But it was amazing. You had so much power at your hands, you know, just putting different images in different um, well, segments. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about images because I really get the sense, but you've you've been a lot closer to the flame. I really get the sense that people believe what they see a lot more than what they hear. Not always, but um, I mean, there are some people that whatever that person says is like God's honest truth and, and, and they just swallow it uncritically. But um, when they're watching TV news, they see something. I remember, for example, 1989 in San Francisco earthquake, there were about three blocks in the city where Houses have gone down and must have gotten down to the gas line and there were these huge flames. And TV kept repeating that over and over and over and over again. And people would talk to me and they say, is the whole city on fire? I said, no, three blocks is on fire, but they keep showing it over and over again. That's what people believe. Could you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, you just, because I mean, I've filmed as well as edited. So I've done the whole production process. I've interviewed people. So I know that, you know, camera angles is like, my girlfriend laughs if I take a shot or something. I have to make sure that everything is set up properly because I'm so used to that from television where you could take, as you were saying about, that's the only three blocks that were damaged, but you just show it again and again. That's why I laugh at rolling news where nothing happens and I have to keep on showing the same thing. But people think, holy shit, that's, that, that's it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you watch the different channels, obviously like Fox News and all the CNN and all the different kind of American stations. They all have their different agenda. I think more so than over here in the UK, um, it's a bit more kind of polarized, I think, in the US. Uh, yeah, I think that's putting it mildly. So a story, like especially like you know the, the riots and things that Black Lives Matter things have been happening, that just showing in completely different lights, but showing different pictures again and again and again. But if I, I heard something on the radio, it's like if you're on a Facebook group or when people are, they're kind of in an echo chamber of the same people saying the same stuff. Um, you know, you don't really want to listen to someone's opinion that's different than yours, really. I mean, not most people don't. No, I, I think that's changed. I think there there used to be a lot of people who were willing to listen to other opinions because somehow it wasn't as personally dangerous. Somehow these days people actually feel it's dangerous. Maybe, maybe I'm making that up, but it, it certainly feels that way to me these days. It's weird. I mean, the world's a bit crazy at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind it, of it um, is. It it's really crazy. I, I know we joke about what's going to happen, like murder hornets coming soon, or whatever things like that for twenty years. Oh, murder hornets are so <laughs> are are so May twenty twenty. You know, that's it's that's like very true. Yes, six true. weeks old. Well, they still might be there. We just haven't heard about them. Um, all right. So, um, one thing that has fascinated me for years and this is especially since i studied screenwriting but i think it's just as true and probably a lot more important with tv news is sequence that sequence seems to like you know you never get the second chance to make a first impression 
you also never get a second chance to initially set the frame. Whatever frame you set is the one that most people are going to look at what follows and what order the things follow in is going to have a tremendous impact on the meaning they take from it. Do you agree? What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm so used to doing it. I don't even think about it now. But kind of, you know, you get your establishing shot and things. The other interesting thing is, as far as sequence of shots, is that, you know, when you often we cut down an interview, say you've got a politician or someone talking about a particular point, and then you would put cutaway shots on the top to reinforce what they're saying. And they are really powerful because they're saying this, this is happening. This is my opinion. This is the world. It's like this. And you choose those pictures and they really kind of magnify what they're saying. Have you thought at all about how this thing that, that you do without even thinking about it, because you've done it so often, you do it so well, the establishing shot, the sequencing, the other images, how that might apply both with the written word, but also with a VSL or a, a webinar? Well, I mean, I've, I've, I've not sort of written any VSLs, but I've not shot any. But it's something because I've come from the sort of the, the video production world on TV. The VSL is something I'm kind of looking at. Um, so I've, I haven't got any experience of doing that at the moment, but that's something I'm looking into. You know, uh, why shouldn't I, if I come from that kind of background, I can do pretty well in, in, in that sort of an area. Of, of course. I mean, you might be able to bring some n- new le- life, new ideas, new techniques to VSLs once you're up and running, once you're ready to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm always up for ideas. I'm an ideas person. I kind of, I go out in nature and, you know, that's my kind of meditation. And I also listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff when I'm out. And um, so I get a lot of ideas from, from nature, but kind of, you know, I, I take things from everywhere. I'm interested in everything. And I think my whole career has been research. You can never do enough research and never enough uh, detail, checking all detail. Because as you know, from a technical point of view, that there's so much to go wrong. And if it can go wrong, it does go wrong. Um, so I've kind of not looked at VSLs at the moment because um, obviously, yeah. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. Let me ask you another question. And this is a very self-interested question. As, as I recall, you, you live um, in a city right next to Oxford University, right? And there, yeah, there must I, yeah. be a lot of um, uh, bucolic, beautiful woods and 
and hiking areas, and that's where you go hiking. And so you're essentially listening to the copywriters podcast in the shadow of Oxford University. What's that like? Uh, it's good. I mean, uh, I, and I believe you haven't been to Oxford, have you, David? I don't think. And uh, and I did send you that picture. Of, I was reading your book at the Oxford Science Park. I think That's right. last summer. I, I remember um, that. Yeah. I, I did try and get into town and take a picture, but I forgot. And um, but it is nice. It, it, Oxford's a great city. There's a lot. You know, if you see news uh, stories, there's always got someone from MIT. There'd be always someone from Oxford University or Cambridge. So there's always a lot happening, and it's quite good to live in, near a city with so much intellect as well, with as much beauty and history around it. Uh, there's always film crews, TV crews here all the time. It's a great place to be. Um, hmm. Yeah, you should visit. Yeah, well, next time I go to Britain, I will definitely visit that, visit Oxford. Um, not sure when I'm going, though. Um, and from what I understand, I'm not sure I'm going to get to go at all. Although. UK is not part of the EU, but sounds like we might be completely banned. Anyway, let's not go there. Um, what Brexit? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, what was that? Uh, anyway, from your TV work, what do you think of this idea? A single powerful idea. This is sort of the law of one. It comes from somebody at Agora Financial, although you can find this in other fields from other people. A single powerful idea or theme, well illustrated, communicates and convinces a whole lot more than a complicated idea with a lot of data. I, I think that's very true. It's, it's too easy to, especially when I've worked on TV programs and things, you've got so much at your disposal. It, it's so easy to overcomplicate things really quickly and you lose track of what the original idea is. I like ideas of the big idea, you know, to kind of look down on something and go, you know, what we were trying to achieve, we're just messing this up because, you know, there's so much noise, um, especially make, you're making a TV show, you, it, you've got so much footage, you can easily, unless you've got a plan, like you've done your research, you've got a plan to lose sort of focus of what you actually want to achieve. So, yeah, this whole thing about the one big idea, I mean, there's that book, I'm still reading it, was it the the one... One idea was it? It's the classic marketing voice. Oh, oh, one simple idea. Um, oh, I've, I've got a, oh, the one thing. That's it. Yes, oh, the one thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm still yeah. reading it. My one thing to do is to read the one thing, but I keep on getting distracted by other books. <laughs> That's easy to remember. The one thing is to read the one thing. Yeah, so, a little repetition yeah, just, in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's right up there. I believe. But yes, you have. Yeah. Um, so, well, all right. Let, let's wrap this up with with a final question, and then any. Any pitch or invitation for people who want to reach out to you, or if you don't want to be talked to, that's fine too. Um, with all of your skills and talents and experience, and I, I know that we've only scratched the surface. That you, you know, some people have told you, or one person told you, you should go work for Britain's premier spy agency. Another person, you 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 were ready to become a stockbroker, and then the 2007 crash happened. So you've got quite a wide experience. What made you want to do copywriting? I think I kind of had a natural, because it's funny, when I grew up, I used to read a, a lot of how-to books, and I wrote The Lazy Man's Work, uh, Way to Riches, Road to Riches. Um, and I loved that book. And I, always, I was always interested in sort of working for yourself uh, in um, information marketing, 
ended up in TV and film industry, went to Iraq, tried to be a stockbroker, qualified, blah, 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 the world fell apart, worked for an um, Islamic TV station in London, um, went through loads of life things that we all do. And I think I kind of had the aha moment. I'm now working, doing some work with a company and I'm writing a lot of content for them, doing a lot of email marketing, selling products. And I think it's like a natural career. I haven't chosen to be where I'm be. You know, life is a crazy, crazy journey. But I've kind of ended up using my content creation skills, whether video, getting into writing. I, I did a lot of English literature. I read a lot of different things growing up. I went to, you know, quite a decent school. So, and I learn, I like to learn a lot. So I think, you know, especially going to different niches, um, I think I can pick up anything. Can I like the research element? And apparently, was it John Carton says, if you do the research, the copyrights itself, or was that you say? I can't. Someone said that. Uh, I didn't say that, but I, and I, but I would almost agree with that. You've kind of done the work, then, haven't you? Rather You've than done, just sitting looking at the most important screen. work that a lot of people don't do, but yeah. it's good to know that you do it well. Thank you so much. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more, do you have any resources or email or? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, I, I'll give my personal email out because I'm still working on my website. Uh, the company I kind of um, sort of rejigging the red website is aguillemarketing.co.uk. Um, Aguil is a French thing. It's not like a flows off the tongue kind of, I'll remember that marketing company. Everyone said, why did he call it that? It's, a, it's, about, it's about a mountain and I like mountains. Anyway, so I'll give my email address, which is Christian Dixon, D-I-X-O-N at gmail.com. Anyone can um, hook up with me. I'd be interested in, because uh, you never know. I've, I've, befriended so many people off your podcasts um when they give out their information because they said okay I'll, I'll contact you so um yeah so my gmail is the best one to get in touch with yeah so christian dixon at gmail.com and that's dixon right, yeah. is spelled d-i-x-o-n that's correct and christian as in christian name yeah yeah good okay well that would be first name here um or last name i don't know anyway um nathan any comments questions no, uh, I fear that if I ask the questions that I want to ask, this episode might be erased from history and put down the memory hole. So <laughs> we'll have to save that for another time. Well, in that we'll case, I'm going to say <laughs> it's a good thing that you listen to this episode because we don't know how long it's going to be up. <laughs> well, you never know. Do you? Things disappear. People disappear happens right? oh no i can't really tell you that can i know <laughs> <laughs> all right um if you did enjoy this episode and you want to get more though definitely head out head over to the copywriters podcast website which is copywriterspodcast.com and until next time thank you christian for coming on thank you david and we will catch you later catch you later cheers guys thank you Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.